get a, a, a drive-by hug there. All right. Praise the Lord. Josh Hamilton is a Major League Baseball All-Star for the Texas Rangers. Uh, he was the first overall pick in 1999, the Major League Baseball draft, considered a blue-chip prospect until injuries and a drug addiction derailed his career in 2001. Josh's struggles with drugs and alcohol are well-documented, a living testimony of how God can work. He finally got clean after being confronted by his grandmother, and he hasn't used drugs or alcohol since October 6, 2005. He's very vocal about his faith and says his recovery is simply a God thing. He does not shy away from telling his story, speaking in churches, community groups, and the fans wherever he can. He frequently and publicly tells stories of how the Lord has brought him back from the brink and that faith is what keeps him going. His wife Katie sometimes speaks with him, offering her perspective on the struggles as well. A comeback to Major League Baseball in 2008 led him to be named to the American League All-Star team. He also participated in the Home Run Derby where he hit a record 28 home runs in the opening round. And he finished the, most home run, the total home runs of any participant with 35. Let's listen to Josh's testimony. Katie didn't know me uh, as the baseball player. She knew I, I played and uh, knew I got drafted, but um, she never followed me at all as far as baseball goes. We started dating, and we dated for about four months, and then we broke up. He had started down a path that I didn't really want to be involved in. I was young and had the money. You know, I went for the worldly things. I went, you know, and started hanging out at tattoo parlors. I just remember um, having my first drink, line of cocaine, and going to a strip club all in one night. You know, at first I wasn't uh, addicted to it. You know, I liked it because it was the closest thing to give me that rush to being on a field playing. During the year and a half that we were apart, um, I had heard different things about him, that he had gone to rehab, and he told me that he was doing well. He'd gotten out of rehab and was fine. You know, he had struggled and had been struggling, but he was doing really good. We dated for about four months, and we were married. We got married in November. She got pregnant in December, January, I relapsed. Uh, so she um, was devastated, of course. When I had our daughter, Sierra, he really got it together and was at the hospital with me. He was wonderful in the hospital. But the day we brought her home, he was supposed to go to Walgreens and get some prescriptions for me and ended up at a bar. I couldn't control my use, my drug use. I loved them dearly, but I didn't care about you know how they felt. and. Uh, if they needed me, all I cared about was getting more drugs. It got to the point where it was so bad that I went to my um, nightstand and my wedding ring was not there. And of course my heart just broke in two because I just realized, okay, well if he's willing to take my wedding ring to get drugs, then obviously these drugs are really important to him. You know, this addiction is, is big, it's real, it's serious. You know, my hope had to be in Christ because it certainly, my faith certainly could not have been in my husband because he was just continuously failing. She was definitely uh, the spiritual leader of the household at that time. Through all this, she's, you know, getting closer to the Lord and, and praying and really leaning on our pastor and his wife for counsel. So I called my pastor and his wife, and I told him how I was feeling. I said, you know, can I come over and talk? And they said, sure. So I came over, and I'm like, listen to what my husband's done. He's done this and this and this and this. I said, and you know, my, my heart's desire is to please the Lord, and I really want our marriage to work. But I'm mad at him. 
And my pastor said, well, I know what, you know, I know what we need to do. I was like, what? You know, I thought he had some great plan to, you know, bring him to justice. <laughs> he said, well, you need to forgive him. I said, Jimmy, I'm, what? No, I'm not going to forgive him. Did you hear all the things that he's done? He said, yes, I did. I heard them all. He said, and you're sitting at home and you're playing the rewind button over and over in your mind, replaying all the things that Josh has done to hurt you. He said, and your bitterness is hurting you. She called me and told me she you know, forgave me for everything um, that I'd done. You know, it's an amazing thing, you know, about, you know, true forgiveness and, you know, that only God can give. She hadn't brought it up one time since uh, she told me that. And I recommitted my life to Christ. And I just said, you know, Lord, this is, you know, I can't do this on my own. I said, I need you. My way's not working. I'm tired of, you know, trying to figure it out. I said, you know, I'm giving it to you. I think the biggest thing for us getting back together was the trust issue. You know, are you really going to the grocery store? Are you really going to the gas station? You know, how do I know that you're really going to be where you say you're going to be? I'm just so thankful that God is who he says he is and that he's faithful. And, you know, he can do He can do anything he says he can do. And he can perform miracles. And the fact that I've witnessed a miracle in my husband's life and in our marriage just strengthens my faith and my belief in him that much more. We are in week three of our series, Hostage, and it's important that you understand that we're going to talk about addictions today, and you need to understand that we find ourselves struggling with addictions more than we are willing to admit. Every second, 28,252 people are looking at pornography on the internet every second. Every second, $89,000 is being spent downloading pornography on the internet. We're addicted. 60% of women are addicted to lust. The average family has $8,000 in credit card debt. We're addicted to spending. 50% of men are addicted to pornography. That's one out of every two. One out of every eight struggle with alcohol addiction. Kids watch four hours of television a day. We are training our kids to be addicts. We can't stop eating. Now I get in trouble. 63% of men and women are overweight. 49% of marriages end in divorce. We're addicted to our work. So many people struggle with the addictions in life today. You struggle with it? You know what I'm talking about. Others of you are addicted and you don't even know it. It's because, and it's become so embedded into our lives that we can't even recognize that we're addicted. So, what is your addiction? I want to challenge you this morning. It's time to surrender that addiction to the power of the Holy Spirit and to the power of God. What are some of the addictions that we struggle with? How about control? Well, I'm not a control person, preacher. Okay. By that very statement, usually you are. <laughs> you know what I mean by control? You've got to know where everything is and what everything's going on. 
Uh, moms get that way with children. They're very controlling of their children. They got to know where they are. They got to know what's going on. Got to got to have it. Got to give it. Give, give. And I don't blame them because kids are not heads. <laughs> they make some really incredibly goofy. I'll just say it, dumb <laughs> choices and decisions, don't they? We think they're going to grow out of it when they get to be 16 and 17. Ooh, it seems to accelerate. When, when you have teen at the end of their age, there's something magical about 12. Something worthless at 13. Something when you got teen at the end of it. Don't they change? Have you noticed that? And then they get to be 20. And you start to see another change. Because they're out of, they're not 19 anymore. They're 20. And then they start making some really crazy decisions about life and marriage and all that stuff. And you as an adult look at them and go, you're way too young. You can't do this. <laughs> Control. You got to know what's going on at work. I mean, you got to be in the hub of everything that's going on at work. Because you're such a controlling person. And those people can be hard to deal with. How about coffee? Are you addicted to coffee? Can't drive by a Starbucks without pulling in and giving them twenty nine ninety five for a cup of coffee? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how much they charge you for a cup of coffee? And if you can't pronounce it, why stop? I mean, if you're going to ask for just a general, I just need a cup of coffee. Well, they don't. They look at you funny. Have you noticed that? It's got to have all these other muff a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of waters on it. That's, I just said I want a lot, a lot of coffee. So, you know, they. How about TV shows? Addicted to t- any TV shows? My family, The Great Race is there. Oh, they love that. I love to listen to Cindy and the boys talk about the shows they, they love to watch. My problem is I start it and I fall asleep during the middle of it. I just. I have no problem falling asleep with anything. But American Idol, man, that thing has really grown out of proportion, hasn't it? Dancing with the stars. We see how many, how do they keep those clothes on, those women? I don't, I don't get I only watch with my right eye covered. You understand that? The Bible says if your right eye offend thee, cover it. So I do. <laughs> how about greed? We have an addiction with greed, materialism. Uh, I'm looking for a, another, a second car for us, and I've been just kind of shopping around. Wow, I haven't bought a car in a while. <laughs> Whew. They're, they're expensive, aren't they? They're really proud of them out there. Most of them are held together with duct tape anyway. They, they want you, it's amazing. I have noticed, though, if you can buy one with 130,000 miles on it, you get a decent price. <laughs> <You know? laughs> of course, it doesn't have any wheels, but praise God. How about houses? We look at bigger and better houses. And how about addicted to money? Have that struggle? If I, I, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more. Sometimes we work two, two and three and four jobs just so we got more. We got more. We got to be able to do this. I understand there's circumstances that cause us because of bills and, you know, illnesses and helping family. Those things have to happen. I understand that. But how about clothes? Are we addicted to clothes? Got so many in your closet, you don't wear them now anyway, and you've outgrown them, or one way or the other. <laughs> and they, how about shoes? I remember they did a, uh, a documentary or the, you know, some kind of a show uh, on the uh, houses that athletes live in, and they this basketball uh, guy star. I can't remember who his name was. But anyway, his <laughs> his closet was half as big as this worship area. 
his closet. And in his closet were shoes they lined in a U. I mean, he had, he had more shoes than I've ever seen. And of course, he has a size 15 foot. So, you know, I mean, whew, those are shoes, more like skis. But he had so many pairs of shoes because he had his shirts all hanging in one thing. He had the one color here and the one color there and the color. And then he had his pants over here and he had his suits over here. It was amazing. I just want, and he had, a, he had an island in there that he could, I don't know what he needed that for. <laughs> in his closet. It's amazing. How about working out? You know, people that are addicted to working out, they just can't, oh, they can't sleep. They have to get up and go early to work out. Obviously, some of us aren't addicted to that. But I know somebody, some people that are, don't you? I've been to the uh, All-American Fitness Center at uh, 5.30 when they open. I mean, it's amazing. People at the door, banging on the door to get in at 5.30 in the morning. Then there's some people that aren't satisfied with the way they are, and so they're addicted to plastic surgery. They, they don't like what God left for them, so they decide they're going to change it. And some people get addicted by it. How about smokes? How about smokes of all kinds? How about smokeless tobacco? Well, that seems to be okay if we do that. Okay. How about the Internet? Are we addicted to the Internet? Social networking, Facebook. Can you, can you go a day without Facebook? <laughs> now, some can because they don't even get turn a computer on. I got you. I'm with you. But some people, man, I mean, that's their connection to the world, isn't it? It's their connection to the world. Twitter. I, I'm just not a tweeter. Are you a tweeter? Any of you tweeters? Do you even care? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to tweet, it's one of the things. You gotta, I mean, if you're going to the bathroom, you've got to let them know. Because they might be looking for you and they want to know where you're at. And if they can't find you, they know you're in the bathroom. What's going on with that? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? And then the last one uh, I want to mention is addicted to food. <laughs> Every time I mention that, the anointing starts to leave me. But uh, I love food. I make no bones about it. I struggle with food and my consumption of it. I, I love it, and so I consume it a lot. I've got to get that under control. You pray for me that God will give me the, the strength. He's waiting to give me the strength. It's, I've got to flip the switch and take care of it. Cain and Abel were brothers. Cain got mad at Abel. He was, going to, he was just about to kill him, and eventually he did kill him. But God comes on the scene while Cain is thinking about killing his brother Abel. And what does God say to him? Let's take a look at Genesis 4 and verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is what? Say it out loud. It desires to have you. It desires to have you. Crouching at your door. Isn't that a great description? The Hebrew word for that phrase is raw bats. How about that one? Raw bats means to crouch on all fours, to brood, to lurk. I read the story about a guy in Colorado who uh, lived up in the mountains and uh, it was enjoying the cool weather of the day, it had gone to the grocery store, was on, it got back home and was on the, uh, on the, in the process of carrying the groceries in from the car and he got one load in and he got ready to go back for the other and he opened the door and there's a big bear sitting right there at the door. 
And he, he did what every red-blooded American male would do. He grabbed the bear by his bare hands. He wrestled him to the ground, killed him, and he filleted him and had bear meat later in the day. He did what every red-blooded American male would do. Ah! And ran inside and shut the door. And he wondered, how am I going to get the rest of the food out of my car? Eventually the, the bear left and he was able to get the food and get it in. And the story there is the fact that that bear was crouching at the door waiting. That bear had seen him come, and that bear was ready to do something uh, to that man. And uh, praise God, he didn't he didn't succeed. But you know what? That's what sin does, doesn't it? It just sets and waits for us, and once it once it's ready, it'll it'll jump on us, it'll leap on us. It's crouching. I love that description. It crouches, waiting to get us. But in in the latter part of verse seven, at the very end, the verse says, "But we must." Master it. We must master it. You see, I've asked God many, many times to help me with my eating, and He keeps saying, as soon as you stop eating so much, then I'll be able to help you more. So there is an element of the fact that I've got to be proactive. Amen? If I want to run faster, I need to run. (laughs) I could keep up with Braden. I could do it. I'd need a car, but I could keep up with him. (laughs) Oh, I'd love to be able to run like that. Remember, remember the days when you could just take off running and didn't run? Yeah. Well, okay, for some of us, that never happened. But we dreamed about it, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. We dreamed about it. But we've got to master it. Some of you struggle with the same addiction day after day, month after month, year after year. It's like a gravitational pull, isn't it? just keeps pulling you back in every single time. But I want you to know that today there's hope. There is hope. Today God wants you to know that, that, that there is hope and through His power we can master the addictions in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about, mastering those addictions. How do we do it? Number one, we turn to God. The first way you master an addiction is you turn to God. Romans 6 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires, but rather offer yourselves to God, for sin shall not be your what? Master. <clears throat> and, and that's what we need to understand is that we cannot let sin rule us. Because that's the essence of it. Like the doctor told me when I was 25, he said, You can't go to an all you, all you can eat place. And I said, Why? He said, Because you take them serious. I thought, whoa, had I listened to him when I was 25, I probably wouldn't struggle health-wise the way I am today. But there's one thing I know, that we're all people in this room. And because we're people in this room, we have struggles with sin. And some of those sins lead to addictions. And we have people sitting right here this morning that need forgiveness and strength in the face of the sin that's in their life. What a testimony by Josh Hamilton. And what a greater testimony by his wife. And what an even a tougher testimony by the preacher who told her, you got to forgive him. Well, she wasn't ready to do that. She was ready to pinch his head off. But when she extended forgiveness, what happened? He changed. That's what happens in our lives. When we understand where we are and God has forgiven us, whoo, look, <laughs> we're living testimonies of what that can look like. 
Kuriuo is the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, I should say, for ruling over dominion is to be the Lord. This verse says that sin should not have dominions, rule, Lord over us. But really the question is, who do you have ruling in your life? Does Jesus really have that number one first place in your life? If He doesn't, then what does? Who or what is your Lord? Great verse, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and do what? Let's say it out loud. So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we battle the power of sin in our life, God has times of refreshing. Those are those times when we actually win a battle. (laughs) You know them? They may be few and far between, but when they come, boy, we're excited about them. And we need to let God have glory with that. We need a group of people that, uh, that will desire to turn their lives around. We need to be refreshed in life. We have people sitting here this, this weekend who just want peace. They want freedom from the addictions that they have in their life. They're tired of being ruled. They're praying, God, can I just get, can I just get set free? Well, turn to God today. Draw a line in the sand and simply say, today is the day. God, it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be hard work. I got it. But every moment of every day when I'm addicted, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to stay with you. So if we're going to master our addictions, number one, we've got to turn to God. Number two, we have to share the final ten. Share the final ten. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? I'm going to confess my sins to you for what reason? According to this verse, to be healed. Two preachers, accountability partners for 10 years. One of them called the other to confess that he had not told everything in their accountability group. He said, I've really only confessed about 90%. He said, but I really am under conviction and I want to give you the other 10%. And so he then shared that and he gave him that final 10. That's what I mean by point number two. That final 10%. But there's three critical factors in sharing that final 10. The first one is you got to find accountability. You have to have somebody that you can trust to share that final 10 with. A guy, you'll love this story I read. A guy came up to the preacher. He's kind of a surfing guy. And he comes up and he says, hey, dude. Calls the preacher, dude. He said, what's up? And so the preacher says, "Uh, nothing, man. What's up with you? He said, well, I'm struggling with lust right now. And I want to see if you could kind of help me out with this a little bit. And the preacher says, I'll be glad to help you out. But I want you to find an accountability partner. And then come back to me and we'll talk. So he says, oh, that's sweet, man. I'll do it. So next week he comes back to church and he says, Hey, hey, brother, I want to introduce you to Amanda. She was 25. She was hotter than hot. And the preacher says, Man, there's just something about this that you don't get. <laughs> and the whole thing is don't go find somebody that you're, if you're having a problem with lust, don't go find some girl named Amanda that you're going to lust more after. That don't work, does it? But that's how we tend to operate, isn't it? Yeah. 
We've got to find accountability. Secondly, we've got to create a climate of acceptance. We've got to extend love. We've got to extend grace. We've got to give a person permission to share that final 10%. Because we've all got our baggage. I have mine. Do you have yours? Are you willing to hold your hand up and admit that you got it? I'll wait till you do. <laughs> Some of you may not have any. Some of you may be perfect in every way. And we understand that. Because we've seen it in you. Perfect in every way. But we've got to develop a climate of acceptance. Nobody's better or worse than anybody else because we've all got a past we would just soon forget. And the great news, the good news is at the cross, He took care of it. Your past, your present, and your future. He took care of it. Is that not awesome? And we need to rejoice in that. We need to live there. We need to say hallelujah. So we've got to find accountability. We've got to create a climate of acceptance. And then thirdly, we've got to keep it in the room. <laughs> keep it in the room. There's uh, three or four of us that gather every Sunday morning down at Hugo's. And they tell me all the time, what goes on at Hugo's stays at Hugo's preacher. <laughs> so sometimes my conversations in the sermon, they will think that I'm bringing up a point that we had down at Hugo's. When I already had it built into the sermon, and they're, boy, they're feeling guilty though, aren't they? Amen. But I love to watch them, heads on a swivel. You know. That's what makes life fun, isn't it? Keep them guessing. But we've got to keep it in the room. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever said by this person wanting to give you that, that last ten, it needs to stay in that room. Absolute confidentiality and trust. And it's risky, isn't it? It's risky to give that last ten to anybody. Because that last ten percent is the real you. That's the part that's the hardest to release to other people when you have no guarantees they're going to keep their mouth shut. I love James and Sue Watson. Sue used to say to James, James, if Harold ever starts talking, we're going to have to kill him. He knows too much. <laughs> I only talk when they're not here. No, I'm teasing. That's <laughs> just. But you know what? We we've got to be people of integrity. And if somebody shares that final ten with you, keep it to yourself. Keep it confidential. Marlene Resitz helped me learn that in such a powerful way. Some of you may remember Marlene. She helped me learn that in such a powerful way. I was sharing one day with her some prayer needs. And she stopped me. And she said, you know what? I feel like you're sharing stuff with me to pray about that I shouldn't really know. And it really it caught me right there. I thought, you know, maybe that's true. So I stopped doing it that way. I simply said there's families in our church that are struggling with these things. And so my approach to that was so different than actually putting a name to that struggle. But I needed a sister in Christ to help me with that. She didn't judge me. She just said, you know, brother, I, you need to do it this way. We all need instruction. We're never too old to learn. 
And when we get there, we're in trouble. Amen. So keep it in the room. It's hard. It's hard to confess sins. It's hard to receive the confession of sin. But when we do it for each other, it's not fun, but it's done so that we can what? Be healed. Be healed. And so that's my question to you this morning is how many of you want, truly want to be healed? Again, that, that verse, James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. We've got to spend time getting healed from the power of sin in each of our lives. So do we really want to be healed? Do we really want to? In your outline, is there a blank that says, I will share the final ten with? What I want you to do is take just a moment and write down a name there. I will share the final ten with. Go ahead. Write that name down. You might say, well, I don't have a pen, preacher. Okay. Mentally, telepathy, put it on that line, that name, okay? Maybe you have a pen you don't want to write it. I understand. Because there's something about writing, writing something on a piece of paper that kind of makes a commitment, doesn't it? So I want you to find that person, somebody that you can trust to share the final ten with, and to master your addictions, you've got to first of all turn to God, secondly, share the final ten, and then, thirdly, fight for freedom. Fight for freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Great verses. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to what? Say that one more time. Does that give an impression that this is going to be a battle? Yeah, it is a battle, isn't it? When the doctor says you have cancer... It, 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 just, it, it just makes you fall to your knees. You just simply go, ah, 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 ah. Don't tell me I've got the C word. Uh-uh. You don't even want to say the word anymore. Because there's such dread and fear. It's usually a death sentence in most people's lives. And yet if it's caught properly and caught quickly and treated accordingly, there's sometimes great success. We still have to do our part. We have to make changes in our life to make that cancer stay away. You can't just hope it happened. When Terry Bowman came down with leukemia, they were hoping that it was the CLL and not the ALL style, but he had the ALL kind. I looked at him and I said, I said, Terry, you're going to have to fight this on three fronts. One is yourself. You have to make changes, what you eat, how you eat, when you eat, and all that stuff. Secondly, you got to listen to the doctors and do what they tell you to do. But really, number, number one is, and that really should be number one, is you must begin to seek God through His Word. You must begin to read healing scriptures. I have a pamphlet on the table right by the door. Healing scriptures loaded with scriptures you can read. If you're struggling with an illness or, or you know somebody that is, or you just need them for yourself, read them. They're powerful verses that deal with the healing power of God. Grab them. Read them. And if you know somebody that is struggling, take one of those pamphlets and sit down with them, read Scripture, hand it to them, and let them, let them do that. But we've got to fight for our freedom. What are the weapons that God lets us use? Number one is irrational, obe irrational obedience. <laughs> irrational obedience. Because you see, we serve an irrational God. 
He sent His only Son to this earth to die for us. That's irrational. He asked Abraham to kill his own son, Isaac, his one and only son. Well, that's not true. Not one and only. It was the promised son. He had him kill the promised son. And then God didn't let him do it, but that's irrational. He asked Peter to walk on the water. What makes sense about that? Irrational obedience. And our irrational God requires irrational obedience from us as well. Some, somebody might ask you, hey, get rid of the TV. That's irrational obedience. Man, I can't get rid of my TV. No, no, no. I mean, I have an HD thing, plasma thing. I've got to have, I've got to have my TV. I mean, it's the sporting season. I've got to be able to watch. Some are saying, quit looking at pornography. Ah! I can't. That's irrational. That's irrational to obey that. Hey, end this relationship today because it's not healthy for you. Man, that's irrational obedience. Others say stop spending and stop eating. Those are irrational obediences. We can't do it as much as we're currently doing it. and It's irrational obedience. Second weapon is confidence in God's Word. Have we forgotten how powerful this book is? I think we have. We read about this book. We read books that lift pieces out of this book. But how much are we reading this book? This book is the power. This book is the hope. This book brings the Word. This book is our food. This book brings thirst to a dry land. This book will bring healing. This book can do what God needs to be done in each of our lives. Each addiction can be busted out and thrown away by the power of the Word that's in this book. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget that it's there for you to use. It can help you as your children ask you about salvation. You'll find the words of salvation in this book. When you're facing a surgery, God's Word will bring comfort to your soul. When you need an extra measure of strength, God's got it for you right there. All you got to do is have confidence in the Word of God and let it become a part of you. Memorize it. Immerse yourself in it. It's a great weapon. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it talks about it being the sword of the Spirit. Okay? Irrational obedience is the first weapon. Secondly, confidence in God's Word. And the third weapon is militant prayer. <laughs> Isn't that a great way to put that? Militant prayer. Do you remember the movie, Meet the Parents? And the guy's name was Falker. <laughs> you could get in trouble if you say it fast and all that. But do you remember the scene where they asked him to pray? And he prays something like this, Oh God, Lord of hosts, bless this smorgasbord of food. Let me draw to you more nearly, see you more clearly, day by day by day by day. <coughs> Just went on and on trying to impress people with his praying ability. <coughs> Excuse me. We've got to understand we're in the fight for our life. Our prayers need to be more screaming out to God. They need to be more like screaming out to God. I need your help. 
I need you more now than I've ever needed you in my life. I'm facing a battle that I, I literally cannot fight on my own. God, I've been trying to, and I need you to help fight with me. And then let Him do it. Let Him do it. See, too often we will come pray at the foot of the cross, ask Him to lift the burden, and He does, and then what do we do after Amen? We pick it up and walk back with it because we're not going to leave. He's not big enough to handle it. He can handle it. Leave it there. It'll be good for you to let go. Oh, control. We talked about that earlier, didn't we? Okay. We need to scream out, God, it's by your stripes that I'm healed. We need to let God know that He's brought us through the fire and that we can stand with Him. We're going to be set on high. Set me on high, God. Give me the strength to end a relationship. Give me the strength to stop eating so much. God, give me the strength to walk away from alcohol. Give me the strength to share the final ten. Some of us need to be praying every second of every day. Literally, we're fighting every second of every day to overcome the addictions in our life. And if you find yourself there, we just need to fall on our knees. And cry, help me, God. I need you to help me. I don't want to keep living this way. God, help me. And here's what we're going to see. Is that God is going to set us free because there's hope. There is hope in the Lord. And I'm convinced that not only I can do it, but you can do it as well. I'm convinced. We can do this. We can do this. God, give me the strength and the power to master the addictions in my life. I've got to share this key verse with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Read it with me. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Nothing that you and I face is not common to everybody else. But when we can't make it, guess what? He's going to provide a way out for us. Amen? Let's pray together as the worship team comes to help me close. Father, we love you. I pray you'll give us strength. I pray you will set us free, dear Jesus. First of all, Father, we need to own up to our addictions. We need to recognize that we have them, that we're struggling with them. Then, God, we need to find somebody that we can share our final 10 with. First of all, we need to share them with you. That final 10% we need to give to you. Lord, we need to master our addictions, and that requires irrational obedience. And then, Father, we need to apply the truth of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and apply it to the struggles that we have with our addictions. And God, everybody's addiction is different. Everybody's struggle is different. But nonetheless, it's real. And so, Father, this morning, if there's somebody in this room that is struggling with an addiction and they need to surrender that to You, would You give them the courage to do it? Father... They don't have to come forward, but there's something special about enlisting brothers and sisters in Christ to be in prayer for you and whatever it is you're struggling in. God, I place myself before this body and ask them to pray for me and my habits of eating. 
I ask that they will intervene for me in prayer every day so that I might become a glory to you with the choices that I make. God, more than anything, we need to surrender and give it to you. And God, today is a great day to draw a line in the sand. Would, would we do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this hymn of invitation. God's coming to your heart.